Hey, this is Erin Lindstrom, and you're listening to Thank You For You. This is a show about celebrating and acknowledging our humanness as well as our beingness, the easy and the hard, the gifts and the (laughs) gifts we don't really like but choose to accept anyway. This is a show about and for people in pursuit of more peace, more joy, more money, more justice, and more of the awe that life has to give us. Thank you for being here, and thank you for you. Welcome back. It's Erin. And this episode is another goodie. Like, (laughs) I feel like I say that in every one, but this episode in particular is with one of my good friends at this point, which I'm so like grateful to say, um, Doreenus Jonikin, who I lovingly call DJ. Um, And DJ and I met through his beautiful wife, Jerisha. And over the last, I guess, couple years now of getting to know him, um, we've like, worked together and hung out in different capacities, like doing some copywriting for one of his businesses, and then also as friends and having really deep conversations about the universe and our humanness and race and money. And um, he's just been a really like important person in my life for the last couple of years. So I am super excited to share this conversation with you. And before I share the episode, I do want to share just a little bit about his professional background with you. So DJ is the founder and chief investment officer of Persea Capital, a boutique hedge fund based in Detroit. He has an in-depth knowledge of financial derivatives, assets, <laughs> of course I messed up asset, <laughs> asset backed securities, equity and fixed income securities and deal execution. Today, DJ has been involved with the structuring and issuing of more than $35 billion of public and private debt transactions. He's managed more than $500 million of equity, fixed income and derivative portfolios. And he's initiated more than 8 billion of sell slide transactions in the commercial paper market. Um, DJ has established research and investment processes centered around a team-based approach designed to deliver superior risk-adjusted performance over full market cycles through a range of U.S. and global investment strategies, including equity, fixed income, convertible, and alternative investments. So yeah, DJ is the real deal. He is literally one of the smartest people um, I know, and I hope you take a nugget of wisdom away from this. I hope you enjoy. All right, we are here. DJ, thank you so, so, so much for joining me for this conversation. Of course, I'm glad to be here. Aaron. I am so excited because every time we talk, it's like, it's one of those conversations where I leave and I'm like, yes, I just feel like expanded. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to kind of like get us started and in the groove, I have a question for you, which you are welcome to take and interpret as you wish. There's no wrong way to take this. Um, the question is, who are you and how did you get here? Oh, wow. Okay. I know. No pressure. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd say um, that's such a deep question. I know. You can go totally literal. You can tell us about today or, you know, your life, whatever feels good. <laughs> I, I'd say that I am a um, positive being. You know, mm-hmm. here in the earth, and um, and I, I got here, I guess, through way of I don't know, positive conscious decisions that I've mm-hmm. made. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess speaking from a literal perspective, I am a hedge fund manager, mm-hmm. and um, I manage a boutique hedge fund based in Detroit, Michigan, where we execute and how can I put this event driven long bias strategy? Mm-hmm. So to kind of break that down, we look for opportunities or look at companies that are trading at a deep discount to the total value. Mm-hmm. And we look to take positions in those companies. And sometimes the companies are trading at that, at that price due to certain events, right? Those mm-hmm. events can be a corporate restructuring. Um, it could be a company that's coming out of bankruptcy um, it could be a company that's in a distressed position, or it could be a merger and acquisition. Okay. So we look for those opportunities because typically um, <clears throat> the value of the business, if you were to just strip it down at a whole, is worth more than the um, 
the share price that it's trading for. And so we we determine what the true value of the business is. And if it's trading at a deep enough discount where there's enough, um, I guess, premium in the, uh, excuse me, discount in the price, where there's enough buffer so that we can kind of protect ourselves just in case mm-hmm. of a downward move, then we'll, we'll make the investment. Mm, interesting. So is this, it sounds like like calculated risk is what you're like looking for. It, it is. It is very much so calculated risk. Um, there's a lot of math involved. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the master's in finance that I have is a, mm-hmm. is a master's of science. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of math involved, um, you know, calculus and algebra and, you know, derivatives and all these things. Yeah. So you're, you're exactly right. So it's really understanding the risk that um, we're expecting to take on and then the expected returns we should, we should earn that are commensurate with that risk. Interesting. Okay. So, oh, so you're so numbers driven, I imagine, like, and it's really about the data, because you're making decisions, uh, you're moving a lot of money, right, for a lot of people who obviously care about their money, and are looking for like a particular outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm wondering, like, okay, A, that sounds like a lot of pressure. (laughs) (laughs) It is. is. And B, I'm wondering, like, how does that do you feel like how you do your work, how you kind of like analyze to make decisions are, do you take that outside of work or do you feel like you're a different person outside of that role? No, that's a really good question. Um, first I do want to comment. Um, it is at times it can be ex- uh, a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, I think it does require a certain caliber of person to mm-hmm. understand the fiduciary responsibility of someone's retirement or, you know, an endowments or foundations um, funds that are used to, to fund the operations of the nonprofit or whatever it may be. You're like, you're responsible for making decisions that should earn a return on those investments and not lose the money from a fiduciary standpoint. Mm -hmm. And then just operating out of the best interest of the clients or your fund. And so there are times where, you know, I kind of, you know, I kind of sit back after I've made the investment. I don't really second guess the decision that I've made Mm because there's a lot of conviction before I make the investment. Mm -hmm. However, there is the pressure of, you know, like, am I capable, you know, you know, like, am I, am I doing the right thing? Um, Or, you know, just understanding that it's important to these people and to Mm -hmm. these you know, institutions that we earn the best that we can and not expose ourselves to too much risk. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess the, f- the question that you asked, <clears throat> I guess, luckily for me, um, I'm able to be the same way both mm-hmm. in and out of work. Yeah. Because I'm a very, you know, my wife calls me a fact finder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um. And I think that's based from what the, is it the Colby assessment? Yeah, the Colby, yep. So because of that, I've never taken the assessment. I just go off of her word. Got but, it. Um, but yes, because of that, I, I typically, you know, do a lot of analysis. I try to get as much information as I can, whether yeah. it's re- with regards to, you know, buying shares of a company or with regards to, you know, buying a house or a car. Mm-hmm. Right. And so... I think because of that, because of my methodical way, the methodical way of how I make decisions, mm-hmm. it's easier for me to just kind of be the same way or be consistent, mm-hmm. which for me is important because when you're investing or you're managing money, consistency is the key, right? Like you want to you want to consistently perform and consistently perform well. Mm-hmm. And the way that you have a more of a standardized approach is you need to have a consistent methodology in place. It's kind of like if you have uh, an auto manufacturer, mm-hmm. right? Like they have a standard way of how they make the hoods of the cars. Yeah. You know, it's it's a stamping machine. It goes through, the material goes through, they stamp it. Each hood comes out looking the same way. <clears throat> and so to some respect, it could be boring to some people, but for yeah. me, it works for what I do. It's interesting because it sounds like it's like values based for you too. It is. It it is very much so values based. 
Yeah, like the consistency. It's interesting, like when you said the um, fiduciary responsibility and like operating out of the person, the the best interest of the client, right? Like Mm -hmm. you have to be, it sounds like you have a huge commitment to being in integrity. Yes, I do. Consistently. I do. Yeah. Is that, is that something that like, do you feel like you've, has that always been important to you or did that like kind of switch flip when you like stepped into the finance world? Like, where does that come from? Oh, um, <clears throat> it has always been important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of it came from just uh, childhood, yeah. which as I'm learning more about um, just me as a being, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, me as a being, I'm learning that a lot of the things and the way we act now and some of the stories we tell ourselves were rooted in some of our experiences that we had growing up as a child. Yeah, totally. So with with me being born and raised in Mississippi, you know, the Bible Belt of the, mm-hmm. you know, it's the South. <laughs> so things are very, um, you know, old school, slow. You know, there's not a lot of change, and there's a really big um, Christian influence. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're familiar with the Christian um, Christian religion, or you know. Christianity as a whole, there's a big moralistic component that's mm-hmm. attached to that, which is, you know, pretty much summed up, summed up in like the Ten Commandments or even, you know, some of the things that that um, Jesus was teaching, which right. is, you know, like do right by people, love people, you know, don't lie, steal, cheat, you know, like the yeah. moral, like some of the moralistic codes that you can find in other religions too. Right. And so because of that, that was like that but that was a big part of my life as a child and so mm-hmm. those are some of the things that i just have kind of held on to yeah that's so, yeah so they just kind of permeate and and within some of the things that i do on a daily basis mm, sounds like they're like seeds that were planted and like they just kind of keep growing as you develop as a human and kind of figure out like yeah. I, I think it's so interesting to see who we are personally and then who are we professionally and how much of that is the same? Cause it's kind of like you are you wherever you go, but sometimes there's different versions for different people. Yeah. 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 But it You're sounds right. like, and I think, I think there's a lot of peace in being integrated in that when I'm in my work and I'm in my personal life, like I'm still me. And mm. I know that not everyone experiences that, but to me, yeah. it sounds like having that kind of like mortal, mortal morale, morality Mm. (laughs) (laughs) but like that moral fiber kind of like weaved throughout you know what I mean like it makes you who you are did you or like what did you want to be when you grew up when you were little uh I went through uh I went through different phases did you yeah so I'd say when I was um like kindergarten through like the third grade or something like that I used to want to be an astronaut Mm mm-hmm um, and so because of that, like my parents would take me to the NASA space camps and How cool. I, I would do like the, uh, I would taste the, you know, the astronaut or the space ice cream. Like I, I still have those, the memories of those experiences. Like I just wanted to be an astronaut, um, which is interesting because, um, uh, I don't think I would have been able to make it through a full, a full workload of rocket science, but <laughs> But, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then eventually I, um, I was always uh, active in sports. Mm-hmm. And so my family is pretty athletic. Like on my mom's side of the family, we've had a f- couple of people to, to play professional or college level sports. Cool. And so I played basketball growing up and I was actually pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. I was all state in high school. And so at one point, you know, I had the dream of um, playing basketball, going to the NBA, mm-hmm. but you know, eventually, I think for for most kids that play sports, at some point they dream about playing it professionally. At yeah. some point, right? Yeah. And so, I was, I think, I was very similar to like most children um, that just wanted to play basketball professionally. But then, mm-hmm. as I got older, um, I always had this entrepreneurial um, thing about me, right? Like. So, for example, when I was in the second grade or so, there used to be these pencils like, um, 
it's number two pencils. You remember in school, we used to have mm-hmm. use, use the number two pencils. And then there would be the, uh, the pencil sharpener that you had to like wind up that was yep. screwed into the wall. But anyway, so there were these number two pencils. And at the time, um, different NFL teams would basically come out with their own types of pencils. So there would be like pencils for the Falcons or the Jets or the Giants or whatever. And they were a big thing in my school. Mm-hmm. So like the objective was to like collect all the pencils and you could trade them. And so the teams will release the pencils at certain periods of time. But then even when they were released, sometimes it was tough to get your hands on them. Okay. So what I would do is <laughs> what I would do, um, I would make a little money cutting, cutting grass um, for my dad. I would help him out. And then I would go to Walmart and I would buy up all the pencils. <laughs> and so I didn't know this at I the time. <laughs> I didn't know this at the time, but I was cornering the market, right? So mm-hmm. in the um, in the first and second grade, I was, I think the second grade, yeah, I would just go to Walmart, buy all the pencils, mm-hmm. hold them, and then <laughs> I would sell them at a premium. I love this. And so <laughs> I would do I would do stuff like this. You know, all the time. I don't know why my brain would think that way, but mm-hmm. it was just something that I always did. And so my mom used to call me a pirate. Mm-hmm. So to grow up watching um, Hook, the movie mm-hmm. Hook with uh, Robin Williams. Yep, I remember and it well. So, and so that was like one of our favorite movies in our household. And so whenever that the part would come up um, and I can't remember the lady the older lady in the character in the movie, but she would say, Peter, you've become a pirate. Like my mom would kind of say that to me. And so (laughs) I think I was like maybe 10 or 11. I watched the movie Pretty Woman. And in that Mm -hmm. movie, um, it's a love story, but the character that I really grabbed me was um, Richard Gere's character. And Mm -hmm. he bought and sold companies. Mm. And it was at that point where I was like, that's what I want to do. Wow. Yeah. I remember telling my mom, I was like, yeah, you know, I, I want to buy and sell companies. And she was like, well, you need to go to law school. But she didn't, you know, she didn't know too much about it. But mm-hmm. um, but it was at that point where I knew at some point I wanted to, you know, to buy and sell companies. Um, that's just something. That's my passion. I love to do it, whether yeah. they're big or small. And so I think, you know, at an early age, I kind of knew what I wanted to do. I love that. I have absolutely never heard anyone Say it. You know what I mean? You hear teacher, you hear doctor, yeah. maybe like yeah. even, even the entrepreneurial story. I'm like, yeah, I feel like all of us have a weird thing, but like, or not weird, but I, yeah. I had one yard sale where I tried to sell Q-tips. So I had <laughs> Q-tips. <laughs> yeah. well, hey, that's a good thought. Cause everybody needs to use Everyone it, right? has ears. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but I want to buy and sell businesses. Like that is such a cool grab. And what an interesting, like, I love how there was a movie that was kind of like, mm -hmm, it opens, it expands your capacity just by like seeing someone else doing something. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly right. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me too, because even um, letting go of like the specificity of exactly what he was doing, but I just find you to be a human where like every time we talk, I find that my capacity is like expanded a little bit because you, Mm. you know, about things that I don't know about. And so every time we connect, I feel like my mind is expanded a little bit with your perspectives and knowledge just around like, you know, obviously finance or finance, Um, (laughs) (laughs) but also, but also just in like the way you think and the things, you know, like it's, it's expansive to be around you. And I really appreciate that. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you Mm -hmm. so much. Um, I, it, it, and to to the point that you mentioned, it it did come from me watching a movie in the neighborhood I grew up in. There was no one that I could look to mm-hmm. to emulate, you know. After, yeah, um, you know, honestly, no one that I talked to even knew what it was. Yeah, right. That- so, so for me, um, that has been my sole path is to get to that point, I guess, get to the point to where I'm now. And I kind of feel like I'm just not starting my journey. So all of the work and the effort that I've put into over the past, you know, 16 years or so has been to just get me to the start line. Mm. How do you feel like, I mean, so that's like fascinating, right? To be in a situation where no one's really, there's no model around you, right? That you can like touch that's 
right there yeah. that looks like you, that talks like you, that is related to you maybe, but like, mm-hmm. how, how has that, well, number one, like, how did you know this was possible? Or like, what mm-hmm. do you think kind of like, let you believe that? Mm-hmm. Let's start with that and go down that okay. street and see where it takes us before I throw out more questions. <laughs> I thought that, um, honestly, growing up, I wasn't quite sure if it was possible, you know, like, I always just had the belief that if you work towards something, mm-hmm. then you could obtain it. And mm-hmm. my parents, especially my mom, would just tell me that all the time. You mm-hmm. know, like, you can do whatever you put your mind to. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I grew up watching a lot of Disney movies. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of interwoven within the theme of the movies. It's like, yeah. you know, whatever it is, you can accomplish it. Which is, you know, that's kind of how we come into the world. I think that's how we were created. You know, mm-hmm. like we were created to um, create the things that we'd like to see. Mm-hmm. And we were created to accomplish the things that we've been placed here to accomplish, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. So just kind of understanding that even at a young age, I felt like if I just continue to stay in the race, then there's no way then I can't reach the finish line. Mm. Like if you're running a marathon, the only way you don't reach the finish line is if you stop running the race. Mm. Now, everything else in between is just a matter of time, which is perspective and, you know, um, grit, right? Just a matter of like how much, how bad do you want it? Like, do you want to cross the finish line? Just kind of sticking to this, you know, playing sports growing up, um, you know, typically you're not allowed to quit, right? mm. like, which which I think is a good lesson to learn mm-hmm. um, because life in general is just, it's, a, it's full of just making decisions or overcoming obstacles or, you mm-hmm. know, you have your, your ebbs and flows, but, um, you know, you just can't quit life. You still have to keep going no matter right. what it is. And, and so with that mindset, I felt like, well, you know what? Yeah, I can I can reach, you know, the point that I like to reach to. I think also there is a good mix of um, naivety in there, too, if that's the word. Right. Like yeah. there's just a sense of me just being naive because when I don't know, I don't know. Right. And sometimes that can be helpful. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. To like not understand all the obstacles yeah. that are there <laughs> and just be like, yes, I can. I know, I know. Exactly. It's like, you know, it. You know, you're exactly right. If which can be really good. Just Mm -hmm. not truly understanding some of the risk or some of the obstacles or what's required could allow you to just be free and creative to reach the point Mm -hmm. to get to where you'd like to be. Mm -hmm. Um, It's when you start getting older and you start start having life experiences, that's where sometimes we can find ourselves allowing certain thoughts or experiences or distractions to deter us from the original destination that we had in mind. Mm-hmm. I love that like childhood wonder kind of like if you can come back to that and just look at the world with those eyes of innocence, yeah. really, yeah. like there's so much more available to you when you're not looking at everything else. <laughs> yeah. so, I love what you yeah. said too about um, if you, the only way to not finish a marathon is if you stop running. Like, and yeah. that, I feel like that comes right back to the consistency that we were talking about at the top of this. And yeah. like, yep. Like if you just keep at it, like eventually yeah. like something's got to break, something's got to give, like if you keep showing up, ultimately I think we believe that like it is going to pay off. So question for you. So when you started off and kind of like, I'm going to buy and sell businesses and now you're in a place where you're managing capital and like, there's a lot happening when you look forward, do you have an idea? Like what is, is there an end game or like, what do you want to be or do when you look down the line now? Yeah. I mean, um, I say the end game um, would be, to have a you know multinational um, fund mm-hmm. where basically and you know even the multinational when I say multinational meaning like uh, investing in companies that are across the globe um, mm-hmm. not just here in the U.S. Got it. Um, and then you know getting to a point to where we're managing you know billions of dollars mm-hmm. which you know that's always a dream. Um, to be able to have enough people to believe in your abilities and your skills to say, okay, hey, we trust you with our capital. Mm-hmm. And um, honestly, that's kind of like 
operating at the highest level in the industry. Mm. Um, so there's a difference. And because um, I'd, I'd like to consider myself a competitive person, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a difference between being in this space and then operating or competing at the highest level. Yeah. And so I just try to show up every day to get better every day so that eventually I am competing at the highest level, even mm-hmm. if it's for a brief moment. But at least I know I was able to enjoy the journey along there and then and get to that point. Yeah. So, so go ahead. What is um? so it sounds like there's an element of like almost competition with self to like be the best at what I'm doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Then on the other side of that, like, can you share a little bit about like, why does this matter? Like, why is it important to you? Oh, man, I think. You know, before, like, if you would have, if you would have, if you would have had this conversation maybe two months ago, yeah, my answer, I, my answer would be completely different. But oh, interesting. Yeah, I've been lately. I've been um, having weekly or biweekly sessions with my therapist, mm-hmm. and so without going off into a rabbit hole, um, <laughs> understanding that competition drives me. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something that we had to work through mm. because um, there was a notion of I had to win. Right. Mm-hmm. And to me, winning looked at the time I defined winning differently than what I define it as today. Mm-hmm. So previously I defined winning as, you know, what's the score on the board? Is mm-hmm. the, you know, is it one? Is it zero? Did I win the game or did I lose the game? But I had to understand that, Number one, that's an ego thing, right? For, mm-hmm. for me to assume that I can control every variable in whatever situation it is, that's false. I can't do that. And so if I were to, let's say if I'm playing a basketball game and there are nine other people on the court, I can't control what the nine other people do. I can only control what I do. Mm-hmm. However, my approach would be if we lost a game, then it was on me. You know, mm-hmm. I lost the game, um, whatever it may be. Now I look at it differently. I understand okay. that there are certain variables that I can't control. The only thing that I can control is me and how I show up. Mm-hmm. And so winning or losing to me is really just a reflection of how did I show up for that event or that activity? Mm. Meaning if I commit to show up every day, if I commit to being the best every day and give 100% of me at all times, then I win. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really matter what the outcome is. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a big perspective shift. Like that's powerful. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, from that perspective, um, I think I forgot the question. Again. No, the question was why. Why? Yeah. <laughs> which is like and the so, most broad. Yeah. Which 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 comes back to that that's my why mm-hmm. it's um you know winning but with a different twist on it yeah and so if we were to break it down to a different level is my why is just being committed to showing up and giving a hundred percent of me giving mm-hmm. everything that I can while on the earth mm-hmm. and leaving in a, leaving a legacy leaving an imprint and you know just impacting other people's lives. Yeah. As a side note, one of the reasons why I started my firm is because, um, like I mentioned earlier during our conversation, I didn't see anyone that looked like me that Mm -hmm. was doing what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And as I started to move up the ladder in corporate, um, I started to see fewer and fewer people that look like me as well. And as I started to do more research Mm -hmm. on private equity firms, Mm -hmm. um, hedge funds, venture capital firms, real estate companies, banks. I started to look at the teams of executives or the owners and a good 90 say, well, we'll be, we'll be conservative. Mm -hmm. 75%, Mm -hmm. 80% of the the team Mm -hmm. um, is is not diverse. And Mm -hmm. the owners of the companies are not diverse. Let's say I say ninety percent of the owners of those type of companies are not diverse. Yeah, and um, because of that, that can inherently just be an additional obstacle or hurdle for someone who's black, brown, Latino, Hispanic, mm-hmm. 
um, transgender, homosexual, it doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. just in the diverse group Mm -hmm. to um, be at the table or build their own table or get access to the capital. Mm -hmm. I'm going to share this statistic with you. Um, There's $1.76 trillion of assets Mm -hmm. that are available to be managed here in the U.S. alone. Mm -hmm. Minority and diverse fund managers manage 1.6% of that. Wow. And when I say minority and diverse, that includes black men, black women, white women, veterans, and the transgender homosexual community. Wow. Yes. Wow. So basically, if you're not a white man. Yes. Holy moly. That's a very, very, very small piece of the pie. Very small. And that 1.6% also includes all those asset classes that I mentioned. So hedge funds, real estate, private equity, venture capital. Um, wow. That's not even a piece investing. of the pie. That's like a crumb of the pie. It's a, yeah, it's a crumb of the pie, right? And so now just imagine if, you know, uh, I said 100 billion of that mm-hmm. money is managed by diverse fund managers and the rest is managed by non-diverse fund managers. Mm-hmm. Um, and companies that have non-diverse owners, what are the opportunities for someone that looks like me to own a business, to get access to that, mm-hmm. or to even sit at the table and, and make legitimate executive decisions? Mm-hmm. And so I've always been the type of person where I said, even as a little boy, I've wanted to own my own. Mm-hmm. And going back to, again, that morality piece, Mm-hmm. Uh, there should be some type of justice. There should be some type of access. Yes. I said, well, you know what? I'll start my own. And my purpose is to create access for other people. Mm. And so that's where it stems from. And so that's what really drives me. And just kind of going back to the question, um, that's my why. You know, it's first being committed to showing up every day and being the best that I could be. And then secondly, being committed and showing up and providing access for other people. You know, like like you mentioned earlier, you know, you were like, well, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, DJ, that I don't know from like mm-hmm. a wealth building investment standpoint. Now, typically, if you're not an accredited investor or if you're not born into a family of accredited investors, you don't even know about these investment opportunities like a hedge right. fund or a private equity firm. Mm-hmm. Or if you do know about it, you don't have access to invest. Mm hmm. And again, um, you know, there's there's some caveats to that. There's some pros and some cons, but just keeping it very simple. Right. Um, there's an access issue there. Yeah. Talk to me about why changing that is important. Um, I think it's important because it will literally change the underlying fabric of our country. Mm-hmm. You know, it. And technology has really done a great job of that. Because mm-hmm. now you're starting to see a lot of new money mm-hmm. and it doesn't really matter what your background is mm-hmm. um, because the, the hurdles are almost minimal. Yeah, um, It's so amazing to see people that are really good at playing video games stream on YouTube or Twitch, mm-hmm. have a ton of followers. They could be 16 years old in their parents, you know, basement or whatever. Yeah. And still be able to generate revenue and with the right knowledge, uh, accumulate wealth. Mm-hmm. So technology has done a really good job at allowing um, the underlying fabric to shift a little bit. Yeah. You know, in different areas, too. But the importance of that is because it will just change the dynamic of um, just kind of what we see mm-hmm. and some of the institutions that are in place that may not be beneficial for most people. Right. Or for a lot of people. Oh, it's so important. And I think you make a really like interesting point too, that like right now it feels like anyway, and I think this is true just based on what you were just saying about technology, that like becoming rich now feels a bit more accessible, but becoming mm-hmm. wealthy is like a different conversation that most of us don't even know that it's a conversation. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Um, you know, my wife follows what she always says, you know, she can get people rich and I can get people wealthy. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like, what is the difference between being rich and being wealthy? 
Well, my definition of wealthy is uh, it's generational. Okay. Right. So like wealth is something that is very, very hard to get rid of. Like it's very hard mm-hmm. to lose it. I thought you were going to say hard to create, but I love that you said hard to get rid of. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Wealth is, it's not hard to create. I, it, well, it takes work. I'll, 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 let me rephrase that. No, I love that. Take... Let's not rephrase it. I, re, I, I, <laughs> I, I accept that as truth now. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it takes work and it takes, you know, just kind of understanding mm-hmm. the landscape and just making good yes. decisions, mm-hmm. but it's actually not hard. Um, okay. Actually becoming rich can be hard because that's what like you, that's when you have to hustle and get the cash flow to get liquid, okay. to mm-hmm. make the investments that could in turn build wealth for you. Um, is it true? Like, would you agree with like, so it sounds like to me, the rich part is like creating money mm-hmm. and then the wealth part, like you use the term build with that. Yeah. It's like growing it. Yeah. So, yeah to kind of talk about that. Um, What I like to tell people is it, it depends on what you like to do. Like, I think there are a few ways you can build wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, you start a business, you grow it, you sell it. Mm-hmm. You buy a business, you grow it, you sell it. Or, you know, um, it, you know, you can marry into it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but becoming rich, you really just need to be able to sell a service or a product. Mm-hmm. And depending on the quality of your service or product, that's how you, or the, or depending on your sales skills, because there are some people that um, produce or some companies that produce subpar products, but they're able to sell really well. Mm-hmm. And so with that being said, um, getting to a point to where, and I guess it's all relative depending on what country you're living in and what part mm-hmm. of the world you're, you're in. So like just speaking to the United States, you know, if you're earning a few million dollars a year, um, then I would I would kind of put you in that, you know, that upper mm-hmm. middle class or, or you know, higher class mm-hmm. um, simply because of the revenue that you're generating. You have access to capital. Um, even if it's not in your pocket, you can still go to a bank and say, hey, look, my company is generating five million a year. On that five million, we're we're earning you know twenty percent. So our earnings are a million, and I'm yep. able to pay myself two hundred and fifty k. You know the bank will probably, and if you have assets that you can lean against, the bank will probably give you a loan for five million. Let's just say, mm-hmm. right? And so from that, you can, from that standpoint, in the bank's eyes, like you're liquid enough, you're essentially rich, right? Mm-hmm. But you could lose that money. Five million dollars is not tough to spend or lose mm-hmm. right like you could if you had five million you could buy a jet for two million you could buy a house for a million now you're down to three million yep then you have taxes and then you know you have to get the the maybach or the rolls royce to take the clothes or trips now you're down to nothing and you could do all that within 30 days mm-hmm. literally you know mm-hmm. so um it could take a lot to get there but it's fairly quickly to run to get to go through now, if you start talking about wealth, let's say if you're at 500 million, now we're now we're talking about a different landscape. Mm-hmm. And so from there, you could literally take half of your net worth. Let's say if you're 500 million liquid, like cash, you could take 250 of that. Um, interest rates are extremely low now, but let's just say interest rates were at normal. Mm-hmm. Right? You could buy some bonds that were paying you 10 percent. Mm-hmm. So you know that on that 250K, you're going to get 10% of that on that principle every year, mm-hmm. right? So we're looking at about, what is that, 25,000? Something like that. Yeah. So, so not 25, but 25 million or 2.5 million. Uh, now I'm going to have to do the calculations. Yeah, on we're bringing out the calculator. <laughs> Yeah, so twenty five million. So twenty five million in interest every year off two hundred and fifty million dollar investment in bonds. So like when you think about it, you're not even losing the principal value of the bonds. Mm-hmm. You're getting paid twenty five million dollars every year just now, for having money. Yeah, just yeah, exactly. And then on top of that, 
you still have another 250 million. Right. So, <sighs> so take, let's say you take another 50 million and then you go buy a, you know, a standard manufacturing or industrial company that mm-hmm. makes the Q-tips, for example. <laughs> right? Bringing so, it back. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let's say you buy a company that manufactures and makes the Q-tips. Mm-hmm. And then that also owns the entire distribution channel. So now mm-hmm. you're down to 200 million. Mm-hmm. So you invested 250 million. You're getting paid 25 million every year. Mm-hmm. Then you just bought a company for 50 million. But now you're going to get into the earnings. So now you own a business. Now you have another 200 million that you're like, okay, now what do I do with this? Mm. And so you can give it away. You, you have your philanthropy, whatever it may be, or you could just put it into a trust, whatever it may be. And so in that situation, even if you were to buy the jet for 2 million and buy the mm-hmm. you know, for 3 million, buy the house for 2 million, buy the Rolls Royce, mm-hmm. that alone, going back to our example is 5 million. You still have like another $150 million. Right. It's a totally different game. Yeah, it's a totally different game. And yeah. so like when you start thinking about the wealth game or mm-hmm. just like wealth in general, that's the level that you have to start thinking about because you're looking at it from a generational perspective. Mm-hmm. And so now you own an actual business that your kids or your grandkids could come into and take it from being like a local, you know, Q-tip manufacturer <laughs> where, you know, they could come in and expand it to where they added a tissue line and then a toilet paper line. And so now you've taken the business from being worth 50 million to 200 million. Mm -hmm. So now you have an opportunity where people from the family can come work into the business too. And so now that's a generational thing. It impacts generations. Got it. As long as you run the business well, as long as you keep the bonds, you still get it. And not to forget, we still got the 25 million. Right, right, right. Okay. So we have like more money than you can ever really possibly use in your life. And therefore, like it can kind of roll out and you're creating this ripple effect. Mm -hmm. Do you think, is it, is it possible or realistic? Maybe let's go with realistic for people who did not grow up wealthy to create wealth in their lifetimes. Of course. I mean, there's a, okay. ton of, there's a ton of examples that you can look at if you want to go to history or present. I mean, look at the Rockefellers, look at the Kennedys, the Bushes, the, mm-hmm. um, you know, Elon Musk uh, or, or yeah. Tesla. You can look at so many of the Fords, like hi- historical figures or yeah. even just present figures, right? Look mm-hmm. at... Um, Mark Zuckerberg or like, you know, the people that have invented the Facebook, I mean, the Snapchats or the, you know, Instagram. Right, right. The Asanas. I, I think Asanas, going, they just announced that they were going to go public. Oh, interesting. Right. So like you have these opportunities where you can create businesses. And that kind of goes back to the point that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. There's two ways, I feel like, and mm-hmm. correct me on this, but there's two ways that you can get to that level, which is start a business, grow it, sell it. Mm-hmm or buy a business, grow it, sell it, right? That's mm-hmm. to kind of get you to that category of being liquid $500 million. So yes, it's definitely attainable. You just have to understand, okay, number one, decide, is that something I want to do? Mm-hmm. And then number two, once you decide that, then say, okay, well, what's required for me to get there? Mm-hmm. And then number three, like just do what's required. Oh, I love, that's a good three-step process. Solid. Yeah. you can take that and apply it to pretty much anything but like anything yeah it makes it so much clearer here is there something so if you uh for people who are maybe listening to this and like okay like this is kind of like blowing my mind even even knowing that that is attainable right and for people who have businesses um what what would you kind of say to someone who's like all right I understand that this might be a possibility. Like, mm-hmm. at, like, where the heck do I go from here? Or like, what do I look at? How do you like recommend starting to learn more? Um, no, that's a good question. I think um, one of the best places to start is, of course, through reading books. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of any good. I know for me, some of the first books I read was um, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah, I remember I read. reading that too, yep. Um, and then there's another book, The Millionaire Next Door. It's mm-hmm. another book that I read. Um, yeah. 
that really kind of talked about uh, your approach or just kind of how you want to think about your life as a portfolio of investments. Mm-hmm. Um, and then secondly, I, I always encourage people to hire people or experts mm-hmm. right? um, for some reason. Um, most people who are not wealthy mm-hmm. look at your lawyers or your accountants as an expense, mm-hmm. right? It's someone that I have to pay. Mm-hmm. But people that are wealthy mm-hmm. look at their lawyers and their accountants or their doctors as members of their team, mm. right? Like these are people that are experts in what they do. And so they advise me on what I should do. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when you shift your, when you have a fr- uh, perspective shift mm-hmm. and you say, okay, I am an expert at making Q-tips. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to step out of my lane because once I do that, then I'm operating out of my zone of genius. Right. However, I know that I can hire someone that is within their lane and operating within their zone of genius. And how can they help me get to where I'd like to be? Mm-hmm. So those are the two places I, I say start. If you would just kind of want to keep it very simple, I'd say start with understanding or just reading and kind of getting your basic knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then number two, um, hiring or working with some people that are extremely knowledge in the area that you'd like to operate in. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, I don't know too much about real estate. I, I understand it from mm-hmm. an investment standpoint, from a mm-hmm. cash flow standpoint, but from like, you know, is this a good property? Is this a good neighborhood? Is this a good stu- school district? Or, mm-hmm. you know, can this be a good building for commercial space? I don't know. That's not my zone of genius. Mm-hmm. But if I were to invest in real estate, then you best believe I will be working with an expert who understands the space. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important kind of like shift just of like, instead of it's, oh, this thing, maybe I should invest in it. Maybe this person, like l- looking at the way like help is an investment when your stuff is working and like when you believe that's going to work versus just an expense. Yeah. And that feels like a very big shift. Are there other kind of shifts like that, that, that kind of like that wealth mindset uh, maybe deals with money differently or thinks about money differently than the pre-wealth perspective, so to speak? (laughs) (laughs) I'd say, I'd say another, um, another shift is just recognizing that the, Dollar or just money in general is energy. It's supposed to flow. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, not With sure you. if you. Not sure if you, you probably know this, but um, money, just like any other type of energy, is supposed to flow. It's supposed to move. Right. And mm-hmm. so, um, when it doesn't move, then it just it just gets clogged. Um, mm. And so things can't move in and out. And so just understanding that dynamic of just because I allow money to flow out, it doesn't mean that more won't flow in. It's actually the complete opposite. All right. Mm. So as you allow more money to flow out, more money flows in. Mm-hmm. And now the important part is just making sure that you make the decisions to allow the money to flow in the right places. Right. So it's not just flowing out to, you know, the garden and being like blown away. You're not like, (laughs) it's strategic flowing. It sounds like exactly when you know what you're putting your money into and when you're letting it really support you to be even better at what you're doing to make more of an impact, more of an income to then create more and then funnel it appropriately to make more. Like it sounds like in that respect, like now we're talking wealth building versus just spending. Exactly. Exactly. Got it. And then recognizing that I like to use this analogy that um, the dollar or the current, whatever currency it may be, is your employee. Mm-hmm. So most say more people, about that. yeah. So most people, um, well, I can't say most people. Um, at times, um, individuals may think that you know having money in a savings account is the best thing for me. Mm-hmm. And it is to an extent, right? I always okay. recommend that people have, you know, at least three to six months worth of your living expenses in some type of savings form, whatever that looks like. Now, now beyond that, when you have additional capital that's just sitting in the savings account, 
especially during these times of low interest rates, it's actually hurting you, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think about inflation is at the core inflation is around two and a half or 3%. Mm-hmm. Inflation is just basically the um, impact of buying power of, of your dollar, right? Okay. So like um, the cost of milk, for example, the cost of milk today is a lot less than the actual cost of milk, you know, 30 years ago. Right. Right. So not thinking about it from a dollar perspective where milk may have been 25 cents and today it's, you know, depending, I drink lactate milk, right? It's like $3.99, right? Yeah. Not thinking about it from a dollar perspective, but just from like a cost perspective relative Mm -hmm. to all of the costs in your household, that price increase is inflation, Mm -hmm. right? And so everybody's goal is to maintain the purchasing power of your dollar. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that is the purpose of investing. I'm going to say that again. Yeah. I'm like, okay. The, yeah. So the, <laughs> the, the purpose of investing first yeah. and foremost is to outpace inflation. Oh, interesting. So if, you, so if you think about it just from a like base level. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if we go back to the inflation example, if I know today, my dollar will buy me, no, $2 will buy me a loaf of bread, let's just mm-hmm. say. But a year from now, that same $2 will not get me a loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I, I need to make sure that in a year from now, I can still take my $2 that I have and buy a loaf of bread. Oh my God. And this is why our world is so messed up is because most people aren't investing and therefore they still have the $2, even though the bread is now three. Exactly. Oh right? no, exactly. we have to change the world. <laughs> Exactly. And so <laughs> using that example, yep. if I have my $2 sitting yep. in a bank account and it's earning me less than a percentage of interest, mm-hmm. however, the cost of bread is going up by 3%, mm-hmm. right? So it's gone from $2 to $2.06. Mm-hmm. Then that $2 I have in the bank account won't get me that same loaf of bread a year right. from now. Right. So just at a base level, I need to at least outpace inflation. Oh my God, but this is messed up. <laughs> like, like that makes sense. And we don't know this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh. And so, and so the, one of the reasons why you invest is so that your dollar still maintains its same purchase, the same purchasing power a year from now. Okay. So casual question. How do we like save the world from the injustice (laughs) like you know what i mean so like is the game plan then do we get wealthy so we can be philanthropists right and actually like create make sure that people who don't know about investing are supported or like how do we lift everyone up you know what i mean like what's yeah i you know just just being honest (laughs) with you and like i really wish that you could lift everybody up but Mm. just Again, going back to numbers, just the law of large numbers, you won't be able to, mm-hmm. right? Like you won't be able to. It's there. You. It really just boils down to uh, people making uh, a decision. Like the cool thing about now is, and what technology has allowed, it's allowed anyone to gain access to almost any type of information mm-hmm. at the you know, the tips of your fingers. Right. So you can Google or YouTube or search for any type of information, any type Mm -hmm. of, you know, articles or papers, whatever it may be. Historically, you weren't allowed to, Mm. right? Because everything was in a textbook or in some book form. And so there were some people, um, certain people across the globe who just were not, allowed to access books, mm-hmm. right? Which is where the information was available. Mm-hmm. Today, um, it's very difficult to kind of use that as a reason to not know. Mm-hmm. Um, we have so many public libraries. Like you said, there's so many um, organizations that are, you know, putting out financial literacy information. Right, right. Um, and you could literally go on Instagram and just probably search financial literacy and it mm-hmm. probably be a ton of people that's just posting really good information that you can follow. Right. Um, but to kind of answer your question, I think um, what we have to, what what's helpful for people to understand is that um, thinking about your dollar as an employee, 
it's basically looking at it from a standpoint of if you owned a Wendy's, let's say, mm-hmm. right? And then you have people on your team and you come into your Wendy's franchise and you see your entire employee or entire staff just kind of, you know, sitting down, not working, but you have a line of people at the counter ready, ready to order, right? That's the exact same analogy you should think about when you have your dollars sitting in a savings account, right? There's opportunity for you to create and generate more mm-hmm. because there are people at the counter waiting to order, right? but your employees are just, they're not doing anything. Mm. And so with investing relative to just having your money in the savings account, there's opportunity for you to create and generate more, but your employees are not doing anything that, you know, they're taking a smoke break, you know, they're out behind mm-hmm. by the dumpsters doing whatever they want to do. <clears throat> and they're not servicing the, um, the patrons. Oh, I feel like you kind of just like called out all of us for um, <laughs> like, we can no longer say that like, we don't know is the excuse. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I feel like what you're saying is like, well, the information is here. Yeah. Like, so do you want to look at it? And then do you want to commit to doing what it takes to get the result that you want? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how I look at it. Or like I said, um, if you understand, again, going back to the, mm-hmm. the other point that I made, if you understand what your zone of genius is, right. Be the best at what you can. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and remember that it all doesn't have to happen at one at once, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just like life, uh, things happen in phases. Right. And so commit to being the best that you can at that particular point in your life, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if you if you're, want to be a podcaster, then mm-hmm. commit to being the best podcasting person mm-hmm. that you can be and having the best podcast out there. To where you you know you're ranking high on Apple's, iTunes or Spotify or any other type of platform, and then once you get to that point, you'll start to see where you'll be get you'll be paid for being part of the best. It's just mm-hmm. that's just I don't know I don't know if it's a law, but that's just kind of what it is. Like that's <laughs> just what happens, right? Yeah. And so once you find yourself at that point, then you can say okay. I can continue being the best at podcasting and I can also use the excess that I have to have someone help me grow what I have. Right. So you don't have to be an expert at investing. You don't need to know all things. And Mm -hmm. and as a matter of fact, if that's not your line of work, then I encourage you not to be an expert. Mm -hmm. I, I encourage you to know enough to be knowledgeable, to have a, you know, a conversation, but also, I would encourage you to do more research into understanding who you can hire mm-hmm. so that you can work with. I love that. And, we don't, <laughs> right. Yeah. We should know a bit, but also like, don't be afraid to ask for help. Exactly. Exactly. Because oftentimes that person or that company or whatever, whoever you're working with, they can share with you knowledge at a level that you can understand mm-hmm. without you having to, you know, go through this period of man, you know, I'm inadequate. I don't understand this investing stuff. You know, I feel inferior. I feel dumb, you know, because I'm trying to understand stocks, but I don't understand it. And you have a ton of people now with like Robinhood or the Acorn app and everybody's talking about Mm -hmm. investing. And, you know, you may feel as if you don't know. Right. So you don't have to subject yourself to that. You don't have to know. That's what I'm saying. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know enough to where you can make a good decision to have somebody to help you learn. Mm, I love it. Be good enough to like ask the questions. Yeah. 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 Like know know that we don't know everything too. Exactly. Who to ask for help. Oh, it's so good. DJ, thank you so much for this conversation. And really for sharing like, cause this is dynamic and it's sometimes I think it feels a little bit heavy because when it is so unknown, it feels hard to kind of like dip your toe in. Right. Yeah, like yeah, at least yeah. being on the outside, I feel like that's the experience. So I just really appreciate you being so open and generous with your sharing and, and really like, it's so helpful for me to know too, that this, this is like, when you mentioned that stat before that 1.6% of the funds (laughs) are like managed by diverse managers, it's, it just made my mind explode a little bit. So thank you for showing up for doing the work, for being committed to who you are and like using your gifts and just thank you for you. 
Oh, thank you for that, Aaron. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. Hey, it's Aaron, and I want you to know that you matter. Everything you're doing and everything you've done, it all matters. It all counts because you are important to the people around you, your family and friends, your audience, your clients, and quite honestly, to the world. Whether you're changing lives on the front line or changing lives while you're changing diapers, your presence matters. Every life you touch counts. And from just one interaction, there can be infinite, meaningful effects. And for that reason, I want to thank you for showing up and doing the work to be with yourself and share your light and your gifts and your love with those around you. If you want support with any of this human being stuff, you're always welcome to join me inside of my coaching membership, Human Being Club at humanbeingclub.com or follow along with me on Instagram for more behind the scenes, silly stuff at Aaron Lindstrom. Once again, thank you for being here and thank you for you.